Really simple concept. How do you fight the darkness? Think about all the ways that you encounter darkness in your life, the conflicts, the difficulties, the fears, um, and, and how often we're tempted to try to fight the darkness in a way that's actually not effective. We want to fight the darkness by turning on the light. Uh, we want to in the, in the face of hatred, we want to show love. In the face of lies, we want to give truth. We want to be those that become lights in the world to shine the light of the glory of Jesus to others. Well, it's been a while since we've been in Ephesians 6, and so we're all, you know, actually as I set up tonight, I'm thinking, well, it's been a little bit, a little rusty on, on, uh, on doing all of this. But I want to remind you that as we come into Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12, Paul has been talking about what being filled with the Spirit looks like. He started all the way back in chapter 5 and verse 18 and talked about not being drunk with wine, which tends to reduce your ability to think clearly and to respond appropriately. Instead, to be filled with the Spirit for the Spirit of God to have control of your life. And then he moves on very quickly. He, he, that's the main command. And then he starts talking about our worship together as a church. He talks about our singing, uh, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and making melody in our heart to the Lord, and giving thanks to God. And our worship is to be a Spirit-driven sort of worship, a God-empowered sort of worship. And then he moves on to very practical uh, 24-7, day-to-day kind of living, and that is in our family. So, uh, the filling of the Spirit, empowering our lives, helps a wife fulfill her responsibilities and following the lead of her husband and, and, and managing her home. It helps a husband love his wife uh, to the point of sacrificing himself like Jesus did for the church and giving himself up for her. And then it helps children obey their parents in the Lord, for this is right. If, if a child knows Jesus and has the Spirit of God indwelling him, as you yield, you might be five years old, but if you will yield to the Spirit of God that is in your heart, that has given you light, then you can show the light of God by your obedient response to your parents, honoring them. And this is, this is a life for you. It's not just about, you know, who's, who's the boss and who gets, to, who gets to be in charge, and I don't like being told what to do. It's like, hey, I want to I, I do what God wants me to do, and God's empowering my life. So even though my parents aren't perfect, I'm going to obey them. I'm going to honor them. Children are able to do that. And then parents uh, are, instead of exasperating their children, uh, they're bringing them up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. They're, you know, parenting is hard. You know, as kids, it looked like parenting was easy. Like, it looked like a duh thing. Like, you've got the easy job. You're in charge, right? And as parents, we start realizing, whoa, wait a minute. Something must have changed because it's, it's much harder now than it was when I was a kid. Um, and, and we find that we really need the power of the Lord to have the wisdom and the love and the patience and the self-control that we need to be the kind of parents we need. And then Paul moves on from the family into the workplace, and in particular in that first century context, that of slaves and masters. There were a lot of slaves in the first century uh, from, for all kinds of reasons, um, and, and some of those slaves knew the Lord, and some of them 
were slaves that knew the Lord and had masters that knew the Lord. And so, that was kind of weird, like they're both worshiping together in the same church, and like, like how do we treat each other, and how should we respond to each other um, in a society that has classes of people? Uh, how, do we, how do we break down that kind of class uh, envy and, and, or looking down on other people, but at the same time fulfill our responsibilities? And so, uh, we apply this much to our context of employers and employees, um, bosses and those that, that work for them. But in the workplace, um, if God has got control of our life, uh, we can serve there in a way that shows honor and, and that does good to those that uh, are working for us and also to those that we work for. Well, what is going to follow now? And, and he goes, you know, right on with the word finally. It actually means for the rest, and it's actually just a connecting word. What, what he continues with here is, is how, how the power of God affects our lives uh, beyond just those other relationships with human beings and, and takes us into the battle, the spiritual battle that we face against the evil spirits that hold sway in this world at many levels. Wherever you look, uh, whether you look rich or poor, whether you look at the halls of government or you look into the streets, you'll find evidence of the work of, of Satan's work, of people that are in darkness and doing things that belong in the darkness. And the question is, how do we actually fight that? Well, it's much in the same way that we fulfill the obligations of our relationships, and that's with the power of the Lord. Uh, so, those earlier verses talk about being under uh, the control of the Spirit. You're filled with the Spirit, and that makes you capable of fulfilling these day-to-day -day responsibilities. Well, in the spiritual warfare, being able to fight the battle well has to do with relying on the Lord. So, here are the verses. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so, we're going to look really at two major ideas. First off, the strength that we need, and second, the evil we face. The strength we need, the evil we face. And the, the two actually go together because given who the enemy is, and you know, when you go to war, you need to know the strength of your enemy. And that tells you what kind of equipment you need. That tells you how many troops you need and how many battle tanks you need and all that kind of thing. Well, these two go together. We're going to need nothing short of the strength of the Lord. So, let's start first with the strength that we need. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. So, when guys fill in for me, they find out how fun it is going back and forth, trying to stick with your notes and right over here. So, I'm a little rusty too. So, here we go. Be strong in the Lord. So, be strong and in the strength of His might. We actually have three words that are used for the strength that we need that comes from the Lord. The Lord's the only one strong enough to beat um, the devil at His game. Uh, the Lord's the only one strong enough for us to be able to stand against angelic beings that are of a higher order of creation than we are and stronger. I mean, think about it. One angel can kill 185,000 soldiers in a night, 
How are we going to stand against that kind, that level of strength? Well, only in the Lord. Well, the first word, the be strong, is the word um, we get dynamite from, okay? Now, it's not dynamite. We're not exploding things, but it is a word that's used for, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use this word, miracles, because it, it refers to miraculous level of power. It's one of the key words that's used uh, for miracles, and we're talking about it literally to be strengthened, so it's something God does for you in the Lord, but we're talking about a level of strength that's at a miraculous sort of level. Be strengthened in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Now, this word, I'm going to, you know, this isn't really a Greek lesson, but it kind of is, but I think you might recognize uh, this word. We think of a word like autocrat or democrat or democracy. This word refers to having rule or dominion, okay? And so, it, it actually kind of sounds like what it means when you think about, like, think about a strong hand grabbing or having control over somebody else. This is control. This is rule. This is um, power, dominion, uh, like someone who would exercise who's a governor or a president or an emperor. So, be strengthened in the Lord, so the miraculous level, in the strength that, think about what God controls, the strength, the rule, the dominion of His might. And this is the word that, that really just has the idea of strength, like, you know, how much can you bench press? Uh, it's, it's used, it's a term used more for physical strength, but, but just strength strength itself. So, here you have a miraculous level of power, the power of ability, and then here you have the power of, of dominion or rule, and here you have just the, the, the physical, spiritual, mental strength to do what God has given us to do. All this in the Lord. This pileup of terms points to, to how extensive this power is. That, that God is giving to us, what we have available to us in the Lord. It's, it's only to be found in the Lord. And in fact, Paul uses these same three terms to describe the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead back in the first chapter of Ephesians. I want to remind you what that said. We're going to point out those terms. In Ephesians 1, 18 through 21, Paul is praying for them that they might be having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which He's called you. Hope is a future that's certain, okay? So, there's a, there's a future that is certain and guaranteed for us who belong to the Lord. What is the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints? So, we're talking about, think about the new heaven and the new earth, think about the heavenly city, think about living in a, in, a, in a time and place where there is no death and there is no sin, all this that God has promised to us as His people, as part of our inheritance, to everybody that actually belongs to Him. A saint is someone who belongs to God. They've been given to God. Uh, he owns them. They're precious in His sight. It doesn't just mean that you're a higher level of Christian and now you've got your halo. It means that you belong to the Lord. You've been set apart to Him. 
He prays that they would know that. And, verse 19, what is the immeasurable greatness, so that's greatness you can't measure, it's so great, of His power toward us that believe. That's our first word, the power of miracles, the word we get dynamite from, okay? His power toward us who believe according to the working of His great might. And you don't really see it in our English translation. It literally reads, according to the might of His strength. According to the might of His strength. And it uses the same thing, according to the kratos, the, the rule of His strength, His actual ability to do things. That He worked, and this gives us a measure of, of how great this is, that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead. So think about that level of power. Think about what it would be like, and this actually happened in the days that Christ was ministering, to be at a funeral, and you're talking about the dearly departed and what a great person he was and how much you're going to miss him, and suddenly he sits up. And he gets out of the casket, and he walks down the aisle shaking hands. That happened more than once in Jesus' ministry. Now, that, that's a level of power that is, like, hard for us to even to imagine. It's hard for us to imagine that there could be a power that's greater than death because every single person that ever walked the planet has died or will. Unless you're caught up in the rapture, you're alive and remain when the Lord comes, right? So the, the reality is we, we all ha have a death sentence because of the sin that entered uh, the human race in the Garden of Eden. But God's power is greater than that. And, and really, it is this level of power that the reason there, there is a gospel. If there had been no resurrection of Jesus Christ, there would be no good news. If He died for our sin and stayed dead, then we would have no hope. If our hope is in this life only, Paul says, we are of all men most miserable. Why? Because there's no escape. Like, it all ends the same way. It, it's just, you know, it's like one of those 70s movies that end where everybody dies. Okay? Um, that's not the way it ends for believers. Um, he worked this in Christ when He raised Him from the dead, and beyond that, He seated Him at His right hand in heavenly places, so the spiritual realm far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. So he's talking not just about human beings that have power, but even angelic beings that have power. We're going to see that in our passage tonight. And above every name that's named. So think of a powerful person. Think of a powerful entity, a powerful empire. Think about the most powerful things you can possibly think about. about and Jesus is far beyond that. Far beyond that. Not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So, so we are talking about immeasurable greatness of power, and it's this kind of strength and power that, that we're called to lean into in order to fight the battle for the Lord that He has given to us. And then verse 11, he says, "...put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil." Now, there's a song that we sometimes sing and take to arm you for the fight, the panoply of God. Have you, how, how many of you have sung, the panoply of God? Okay, so you sing in tongues. <laughs> that's actually just a Greek, that's a transliteration from the Greek of the whole armor. We're saying the whole armor of God. That's what we're doing. The pan 
the whole Apli armor of God. So this is all, and, and you think about, you know, he's going to articulate what these various parts of the armor are. We think of armor as just defensive, but this is actually going to be battle gear because it's going to include the sword of the Spirit and also going to include prayer. So it's both defensive and offensive. And so as I was thinking about this, this is like the, the battle gear and it's not just any battle gear. It's battle gear of God. It's the battle gear that God supplies to you. You need every part of it. In the verses that follow, he's going to identify uh, particular parts of this battle gear, but it, it's not man-made armor. It's for spiritual warfare, and it's from God. It's not, it's not going to be um, that you came up with a cool scheme of beating the devil. These five things to beat the devil. No. It's not going to be the latest book that you read or the last movie that you watched. It is the panoply. It is the whole armor, all the battle gear of God that you may be able to stand. Now, this word right here, able, is this word here. It's related to that word that you'll have the power, even to the level of supernatural power, to stand against the schemes. And this is another word that we're pretty familiar with. This is the word we get methods from, the strategies um, of Satan, the craft. And it's, it's more, you know, method... When you say, what's your method of doing this? We don't think positive or negative. This is more in the scheming, the craftiness. I've got a method of getting at you. I know your weaknesses. I know your vulnerabilities, and I'm going to go after them because I probably know you even better than you do, and I've been doing this temptation gig a long time. Okay? So how do we stand against the schemes, the methods, the craftiness, the wiles of the devil? And you might ask, well, what are those wiles? And I think one of the verses that's really helpful to me is in John 8, 44, where Jesus says, you're of your father the devil, and the less of your father you'll do. It says he was a murderer from the beginning. So one of, one of the schemes of the devil is his destructive attitude and activity toward people. He, he's, he tears people down. He destroys them. His game is to tempt you to destroy you. You know, people think that they're free when they get free of God so they can do whatever they want. What they don't realize is that Satan is tapping into what they want and tempting them, baiting them like, like baiting a fish, and he's catching them on a hook so that he can destroy them, throw them into the frying pan. You know, when you serve God, you're not, when you bow the knee to God, it's not so he can destroy you. It's so that he can rescue you. When you bow the knee to Satan, it's to destroy you. He, he's in it to, to ruin people, to destroy them, to, to make them suffer. He is a murderer. And, and wherever you find this spirit of murder, of hatred, of attacking other people, of loathing them in their heart, you know that you're looking at the kind of work that Satan does. So when you, you feel that welling up in your heart, that's not from God. 
It, it might be from your own sinful heart, but it also is often like energized and supercharged by the devil and his demons. And then the second thing, it says, he is the father of lies. And the other thing that Satan does regularly is just the lie. He's so deceptive. You know, you know it's kind of like some people, you know when they're lying when their lips are moving, okay? And, and Satan loves to lie. He's deceptive. And so, uh, just as a practical uh, application of this, sometimes, you know, we're, we're strategizing as to how to fight certain battles, how to promote the gospel, how to, to deal with a problem that's threatening the church. We never want to use, as part of our strategy, anything that's dishonest, nothing dishonest. And yet, I've seen it over the years, often those that I believe are actually believers and they're trying to serve God and they might have a good cause, they're tempted to adopt dishonest tactics, arguing that the end justifies the means. No. No. Light is light, and light doesn't need the help of darkness to do its job. And as believers, we, we want to be honest and truthful. And, you know, what, what, is, what does um, Ephesians say? We want to be truthing in love. We, we want to be speaking the truth in love. We are truth bearers, and, and we are love givers, okay? And these things mark the children of God, just the opposite, the children of the devil. These are his schemes and methods, and plenty falls under those categories. I love the way John Stott puts it in his commentary on this, and once again, I commend you. Uh, I, I have found it the, the simplest, clearest, most helpful uh, of commentaries on the book of Ephesians. John Stott's, um, the Bible speaks today, Satan is a bully and a beguiler. Beguiler is a fancy word for someone who tricks other people, using force and fraud. Force and fraud, bullying and beguiling people. Now, why is Paul telling us this? You know, some people, they, they kind of joke about Satan like it's some kind of medieval uh, imaginative thing, and now we know better, now we have psychology. We figured it out, which that itself would be a joke, right? Because if you're in that field, you know how much we haven't figured out. Um, but, but the Scriptures, you know, and Luke in particular, often distinguishes between a demon possession and and someone who's just just sick with epilepsy or some other kind of some other kind of physical problem or even a mental problem, um, we're not talking about that. So you have those that just dismiss him and ignore him, and then you have those that are like they're they're scared to death of him. They re they read these books about the devil and they 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 they're they're always thinking about where he is and that kind of thing. So, let me make this statement as we look at this passage. We should not fear the devil nor ignore him, but stand strong against him in the Lord's strength. Okay, this is the focus of the passage. Now, what follows is not a call for us to cower in fear before the devil and his demons, uh, you know, like we're watching some kind of, of, of horror movie, and, you know, some people like to be scared. I hate horror movies. I, just, I don't like to be scared, okay? Um, but it's not like that. But we want to make sure that we find our strength not in naive self-confidence, 
In other words, don't try, don't try to do this in your own power. Don't try to live for the Lord in your own power, but to do it in the Lord who gives us the power and gives us the equipment to stand strong against the devil and his demons. If you are a born-again Christian, you are not on your own in this life. You are not master of your fate. You are not self-sufficient. And thankfully, nor are you forsaken. And we could, we could fall into any of those traps. You belong to God through Christ, and His strength is yours if you will rely on it. His strength is made perfect in weakness. I think this is one of the things we don't quite understand. We think that, that somehow uh, we can we better ourselves to where we make ourselves strong, and that as we get stronger, then we become more and more invincible. The reality is that falling to sin or losing a spiritual battle is just a step away. It doesn't matter where you are in your spiritual walk. Your safety is not in yourself. Your safety is in the Lord. And Paul teaches us this. When he talks about his thorn in the flesh that was given to him after having extraordinary revelation and being caught up to heaven and seeing what was there, um, and he asked for God to remove this thorn in the flesh. We don't know what it was, but it somehow was limiting him. It was a painful reality in his life. And, and the Lord would not remove it. Christ said to him, my grace is sufficient. It's enough. My grace, the favor that I'm showing you is enough for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So, Christianity is not, is not a religion where you go, we go around beating our chest at how, how amazing we are and how powerful we are and how we're, we're going to take on the world, that kind of bravado. That, that is not Christianity. Christianity recognizes that not a one of us deserve to be here that what we enjoy is not by our own strength, but by the grace of God, and that we are safe because He's looking out for us. And the things that we get to see, the things that we get to do as God's children are things that we get to do because of what God is doing in us. And, and one of the cool things about serving the Lord over the years is you have a longer and longer list of things you can point to and say, you know... Yeah, I was there, and, and I was involved, but, but honestly, I, I could not have ever done that on my own. The Lord did that. The Lord let me be part of that. The Lord, uh, we're, you know, and we see this right from the beginning, right? We see this, you know, I mean, how many times do you hear the gospel? Are you exposed to the gospel, and you're blind to it, and suddenly he takes the blinders off, and, and he lets the light shine, and you know, we watch that happen every time the word is preached. It's just like, you know, a lot of times, I remember as a, a younger preacher in church planting, I felt like I was banging my head against a brick wall till my head was bloody. And I realized, I can't do this. I can't accomplish anything. And, and I think it was at that moment, in fact, the Lord, um, I remember sitting in my bed after a morning service, and I was like, this is terrible. You know, we had a handful of people show up, and, and they all enjoyed it, you know, the way Southerners do. And um, <laughs> But I said, you know, they're not going to show up. This isn't going anywhere. And, and it was like the Lord just sat me down and said, look, I will build my church. I will build my church. You're not building a church. 
Now, whatever other people say, oh, he's building the church. I didn't build a church. Jesus builds his church. Jesus is the one that adds the people. Jesus is the one that redeems them. Jesus is the one that fits them together by the Spirit of God, helps them, them work. So this is, this is all a God thing that's happening, and that's the way the Christian life has to be lived and the battles have to be fought. And so don't fret about, you know, your weakness, that you're a weak person. I mean, you're, you're, you're seeing reality, okay? It's when you, thought you, it was when you think you're strong is when you're, like, crazy, like you're not, you're, nobody's as strong as, as, as we might think we are. We need the power of the Lord. So these questions, when are you most likely or least likely to rely on yourself instead of on God? When are you most likely to rely on God? When are you least likely to rely on God? Now think, think about the kinds of situations where you're you might forget that you need God. Think about the situations where everybody remembers that you need God. Okay? What are ways that you are relying on God and the strength and battle equipment he supplies you? How, how are you actively relying on what he has given? That means you're thinking about what he has given to us. Okay? Spirit of God, word of God, the brothers and sisters in Christ, all the equipment he's giving you that we'll talk about next time, and what do you need to change given what these verses reveal? You know, if you're looking at your life in more than just a, on a horizontal human level, if you start thinking about it in terms of needing the power of the Lord so that you can stand against, withstand the schemes of the devil who, who is tricky beyond belief, okay? Then, then what are ways you can lean into God's strength rather than your own? And now Paul's going to talk more about the evil that we face. So let's flip this over. Without flipping anything else. Okay. The evil we face, for do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You know, it's kind of like, it's almost like Paul wants to make sure we get the point because he just keeps piling up the terms. But he starts with this. We do not wrestle. And this word is used for like hand-to-hand combat. This isn't like you push a button and something blows up 500 miles away. This is like your hand-to-hand sweaty combat um, smelling the breath. There are times in the spiritual battle, it's almost like you can smell Satan's breath. Um, this hand-to-hand, close-quarters kind of, of conflict, like many people at that time would have been familiar with, because much of the battle was done in close quarters. Uh, in fact, the Romans, they had a large two-handed sword that they would use, but their, the, the, their favorite weapon was a short one. It was like a, a longer kind of dagger that was used at very close quarters and, and able to be maneuvered very well. This is the kind of quarters we're fighting in. Not flesh and blood, not human opponents. Okay, now you might have some people that you find it very difficult to get along with or very difficult to respect or people that you fear in terms of doing you possible harm. Maybe people you know personally or maybe people that have positions of power. Um, and, and it's very easy for you to think just in terms of, uh, in human terms. But Paul's very clear that we're not wrestling just against human opponents. 
Okay? That's what flesh and blood refers to, just human beings. This is not, the, the battle that counts is not the battle between you and another human being. Re- really important that this not be like about, you know, personality conflicts and, and just people-oriented kinds of things. We're talking about a battle that goes beyond that. And, you know, of all people, the believers in Ephesus were well aware of the power of demonic beings. They, they would not be like an audience today that's going like, oh, brother, here they go with fairy tale stuff. They had, you know, all it takes for you to not believe something's a fairy tale is for you to experience it yourself. You know, there's a big, when you've actually been through it yourself, then, then nobody can convince you that, it, that it's just a story, that it's just made up land. And many of them have been saved out of occult practices, so witchcraft, that involved the worship of Satan and his demons. In fact, some of them had even been demon-possessed. And we know this from the account in Acts 19, and I want to take you there because I think it gives us great insight into this particular uh, part of the passage. In Acts 19, 11 to 20, this is in the city of Ephesus. God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. So he's not just standing over someone and saying, and telling the evil spirit to depart, but just the handkerchief that touched his skin laid on the person would cause the evil spirit to depart. And I said, wow, Paul, how did you learn how to do that? He didn't learn how to do that. God just chose to do that. That was the power of God at work. Then some of the itinerant, so traveling Jewish exorcists, those who cast out demons kind of for a living, undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. They want to get in on the action, and they figure Jesus is like a magic word to do it. Seven sons of the Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus, I know. And Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, all seven of them, overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. And fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Like, this is no game. This is not just your traveling exorcist. This is actually the power of God. And also many of those who are now believers came confessing and divulging, revealing their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts, they had been into witchcraft, brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. They counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. Very, very valuable. I mean, books in those days, you don't have a printing press. It has to be copied by hand. So books are very expensive. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. So these people had seen firsthand from the beginning how powerful God is and how God can help in this battle against flesh and blood, not just against flesh and blood, but against uh, demonic beings. And so the rulers and authorities, right here, these words are often used 
in Colossians 1 and elsewhere, and even the passage in Ephesians 1, are used for ranks of angelic beings. Okay? So, Satan's kingdom is, is organized, and you have ranks of, of demons, uh, like ranks of angels. Like on the, on the righteous side, we have archangels. Ark is a leading angel, okay? So, these are rulers and authorities. And then, the cosmic powers over this present darkness... So, he uses a term that was used uh, among pagans. It's actually, it combines cosmic with that word we saw earlier. Um, this word. So, a cosmocrat. Cosmocrator. Um, these are those that have authority or rule, but they're at, they're at a level. It was used by pagans of... of the control, the astrological planets, like astrology, and the control they thought that those planets had over human beings. Obviously, Paul doesn't think that, but he is saying that, look, if you want to know in the universe uh, what has control, what rules and dominates human beings, it is the spirit of this age, it is uh, Satan, the prince of the power of the air, and his demons, they exercise this, this kratos, this power, this dominion. Remember, we've been transferred from the dominion of darkness to the dominion of his dear son. They exercise this, and these are spiritual forces, spirit beings in heavenly places. They're in the spiritual realm, not just in the physical or material. There's a material world, there's a, physical, a, a spiritual world as well. And we know this very practically. Like, we know, even though it's not a physical thing, we know that there's such a thing as love. And there's such a thing as humility. And there, there are things that happen that you can't measure physically or materially. We're not a, it's not a materialistic universe. There's something more going on than that. And these beings are working in that area, in the heavenly places, uh, just as good angels are as well. This is what we're fighting, not just human beings. So, it, look, it's not about Democrats and Republicans. It's not. It, it's not about this class of people versus that class of people. It's not about your mean mother-in-law. The, the real battle that matters is the battle we're, we're facing and we're fighting against these evil powers they do harm to people. They bring darkness. They, they, are, they are this present darkness. They're ruling over this present darkness. How do you fight the darkness, kids? You turn on the light. Okay? And we have the light of the Lord. So, if you consider the spiritual war going on behind the scenes of the conflicts and challenges of your life, in what ways would this passage modify your strategies of coping with them? Are all your strategies just at the human level? Is it all about, you know, balancing the books? Is it all about finding a, a better, you know, better plan, a better vision statement, a better... Or, or are you leaning on the equipment that God gives and the strength that God gives? And then I want to make, do want to make the one application. There's multiple areas we could go to, but I think it's especially important for us in our testimony 
You know, we talked this morning about, you know, Christians, if we're going to be testifying to the gospel where Christ redeems us and rescues us, then we ought not be the group of people that are fretting all the time, that are, that are fearful all the time, and that are so threatened by everything. That does not commend the gospel. And I think this is particularly evident in the realm of, of human politics. Um, and ironically, in a nation where we have some degree of getting to choose our leaders versus they're being chosen for us, um, it seems to be in some ways even worse, um, I guess because we figure, figure we've got a hand in it. But considering that behind human politics rages a cosmic spiritual battle, and you go to the book of Daniel and this becomes really evident, where they've even got demons assigned to world rulers at the time. What God-given resources should you be using? What God-defined priorities should you be pursuing? So I, I want to encourage you, like, it's not that there can't be practical, human-level kinds of things going on, but, but the main thing we need to be focused on is, you know, what, what needs to happen beyond that? What needs to happen beyond the platform? What needs to ha- happen in terms of advance of the gospel? What needs to happen um, for the sake of the souls? This is, this is why, by the way, that we pray for those that are in authority over us. Whoever they are, we pray for them because we know that the battle is, is not just about their policies and about their advisors. It's not just on the human level, but it's the spiritual warfare going on. Well, the strength we need is because of the battle we face. And thankfully, the strength God gives is sufficient for the battle. And I feel like I should end, that's not just for kids. Let's pray. God, thank you for your kindness to us. And Lord, on occasion, we, we get, it's like you lift the cover and we see the spiritual war going on and, and it can be frightening to us when we actually see what's going on. And you shield a lot of that from us. But here, God, you've revealed what's actually going on so that we can be equipped to fight the battle in a way that is not naive, that's not oblivious to what's actually going on. God, give us the spiritual perception and the faith and the love to be trusting you and for the Spirit of God to be controlling our lives and for us to be leaning into the strength of the Spirit, the strength of God uh, to fight the battles that we fight. And God, we pray that for the glory of Jesus Christ, who is King of kings and Lord of lords, who will one day destroy the devil and all who follow him, God, we, we pray for his glory that you would help us fight these battles in a way that are not um, carnal weapons of warfare, but are spiritual and mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. For it's in Christ.